This is The Feed. From Markham. From Richmond Hill. From Vaughn. From Aurora. East Gwillimbury. Whitchurch, Stouffville. From everywhere you are. This is The Feed, York Region's only news magazine dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. Welcome to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. On the show, celebrations of black history across York Region. Honours for Canadian actor Art Hindle, but we begin with the gradual reopening of Ontario business. January 31st, this Monday, we'll see restaurants, bars, gyms, and cinemas open their doors with 50% capacity limits. Small and mid-sized businesses have been hard at it since the announcement preparing for back-to-business, though not business as usual. But did they all survive? Can they afford to reopen? And what are they facing right now trying to get back up and running? Ryan Malo is the Senior Director of Provincial Affairs for Ontario with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Thanks for joining us on the feed, Ryan. Thanks for having me. So let's roll back a little bit. Why the timing? Why so long from the announcement to the opening, which will happen in the next couple of days? Well, it's a great question, and I think one that a lot of small business owners are asking. I mean, there has been an issue throughout the pandemic where we've run into you know, uh, a Friday announcement from the government that takes place Saturday morning. And realistically, a lot of businesses haven't been able to open immediately because it's not a lot of runtime. So on the bright side this time, there is a lot of lead time, but there's also a lot of frustration from business owners that when this lockdown was announced, they expected to be open on the 26th and they're having to wait a week uh, longer uh, to the 31st. So I, I think it's a good sign, but definitely longer than businesses wanted to be closed. And Ryan, what are some of the businesses facing in terms of challenges when it comes to reopening? You know, we've got supply chain issues. We've got a lot of illness out there in the community because of Omicron. So what are they doing in terms of rehiring and supplying? Yeah, so we know that business owners are in the midst of calling employees back. They're getting their health and safety plans set up. You're a, you know, a restaurateur, you are calling your suppliers to make sure that you have food you know, in your fridges, in your freezers uh, for when people are coming back. But I think, too, what a, a lot of businesses are concerned about is every time we have reopened uh, as a province, the messaging has always been, yes, things are open, but please stay home. Please limit contacts. Uh, please limit trips. Don't go out. And that's been really tough for business owners. And I think a lot now, as they are getting prepared, are also trying to get to their customer base and say, hey, not only are we open again, but we need you. It is it is safe to come out to the restaurant. It is safe to go back out to the gym. We need you to come here. And unfortunately, if it's anything like the last three reopenings, consumer confidence tends to lag a bit. And that's going to be a pretty immediate challenge for business owners is to not just to be open on day one, but to have people coming in on day one. Because if you are open and there's no customers, uh, you're not really in a good position as a business. Do you think it is helping that the messaging out there from both health officials and also from surveys telling people that really Omicron is not quite as severe as the past variants of COVID-19? There was a survey by Angus Reid out on Wednesday this past week that said that a lot of Canadians think that it's manageable and they're not as frightened about it as they were the other aspects of COVID-19. Yeah, I think that's certainly positive. We want to make sure that that's what's being felt in the public. Um, We know, too, that governments at all levels do pay a lot of attention to those polls, and I think that should give them some confidence in uh, sticking to their plan and hopefully not just maintaining but maybe accelerating the timeline. We are only opening to 50% uh, on the 31st. It's still going to be a few weeks before we get to 100%, and ultimately that is where we need to get to. Um, But I think that there is a different sentiment coming out of this one compared to the the last three, where hopefully that confidence comes back a little bit quicker. Let's analyze some Toronto data. Number of days that several sectors have been fully closed through this pandemic leading up to Monday. So retail, 224. Hair and nail salons, 311 days closed. Gyms, 423. Indoor dining, 436 days closed. Those are shocking statistics. Yeah, it's been an incredibly difficult two years, and you can see that it's being felt across all sectors. And while all of those sectors will be open to 50% capacity come uh, the 31st, they all face different challenges. I mean, when a hairdresser or a barber gets shut down or limited or customers aren't coming in, it's not like a restaurant where if you're able, you can go seven days a week. Your haircut tends to be on a schedule. So for them, it's a lot of, uh, it's not just deferred revenue coming in, but it's, it's revenue that they're never going to get back when they're missing 
hundreds of days at a time. That haircut that you delayed for six months only comes around once, and then you're back on your regular schedule. If you look at gyms, they've been amongst the the hardest hit industries across the board, along with other indoor recreation like yoga studios, dance studios, rock climbing walls. Uh, This should have been the biggest month of the year for them. They rely on January. That New Year's resolution crowd is huge for the industry, and they've lost January entirely, are likely going to lose most of February to 50% as well. That's a really difficult position. Indoor dining, always the first thing to be closed, generally the last thing to be open. The weather is still really tough for patios and probably will be for a couple more months. Will people feel comfortable enough, not just going into a restaurant, but packing a restaurant? Really, that's what these businesses need. They don't need a couple people inside, even though that's better than none. They need capacity inside. Uh, So it's been an incredibly difficult amount of time, and it really underscores that recovery is not flipping a switch. It's not reopening that is going to save these businesses. Mm. That's the first step, but there is still a very long way to go. So in some cases, do you think it's worth it for, let's say, restaurants to reopen at just 50% capacity? We know a lot of them are asking that question themselves. And we've seen, you know, even now with with retailers, even before the shutdown when restaurants were uh, back to capacity limitations, some of them had already said, you know what, for January, it's not worth it for us financially. It's not worth the amount of stress on us or on our employees. We're going to take a break. And it's not uncommon. I mean, when I'm walking around downtown Toronto to see a sign on a storefront where the store is not going, but they're saying, hey, we're going to be back next month. We're, we're taking some time here. So that's a decision that's going to be coming over the next uh, uh, few days. And I think come January 31st, you will see some business owners aren't quite ready yet. Um, and it may be a couple more weeks before they're back to open. And any idea here in Ontario, here in southern Ontario, and maybe we can even focus on York Region, how many businesses are just not going to be able to survive this latest blow? They're not going to be able to reopen ever again. So we know right now, based on our uh, January survey that we put out, about 18% of Ontario business owners uh, across all sectors are actively considering bankruptcy right now. That's not to say that we're going to lose one in five entirely, but that is a pretty large, robust number to be actively considering bankruptcy. And the answer is some of them aren't going to make it. And I think that that's something that uh, governments and us as consumers have had a tough time wrapping our heads around. You know, it's not that gyms as a sector or restaurants as a sector are going to disappear. We're always going to want to have places to work out. We're always going to want to have places to go eat. But your favorite spot, that one that's on the corner, the one that's on the back of your kid's hockey sweater, the one that, you know, when you pass it late at night and it's lit up, you know you're close to home. That's what's at risk here. That's the person that might not make, might not make it. And there are people behind these businesses. This is somebody's life's work, oftentimes somebody's life's dream um, that is failing here. And that's why we have been so uh, passionate and so vocal about making sure they get the support they need and urging Ontarians to support them as they are able to, either with their business or if they can't afford that. And this pandemic's been tough on a lot of people, we understand. Even with just word-of-mouth advertising, I mean, marketing is not something a lot of uh, businesses are in a position to do. Telling people about your favorite spot might be the difference. And if you are able to, please do. Please encourage people to go. Please encourage people uh, to get out because the businesses very much need it. Let's right now talk about what are called the double F. So it is F for fatigue. Are businesses going through reopening fatigue? And also fear, fear of another lockdown. That's got to be sitting in their souls somewhere. I think so. And we, we saw that as early as August, September of last year, where before Omicron was a, a thought in anybody's mind, where businesses were looking towards the winter and going, you know, we think we're going to get shut down again. Again, no indication from government that that was the case at the time. No indication from case numbers that that was going to be the case. Certainly no indication of a new variant. But the sentiment was very much there, that there was already active concern as we headed towards the colder months, as we headed back inside, that this was something that was going to happen again. And again, there's the pattern, there's, the business owners don't know anything different. The pattern has been every time cases have uh, ticked back up, there have been more restrictions, there have been shutdowns. We're four for four right now. So I think that concern is there and is something that is in the back of business owners' minds and is going to be a consideration as they reopen. At the same time, I think the fatigue that the public is feeling with COVID and due to COVID is very much present for business owners, too. We are uh, very much all in the same boat when it comes to the mental health and just the the desire to get past this, uh, fighting with the realization that we're not 
quite there yet. Is it the uh, view of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business that this most recent lockdown, that lockdowns just in general that involve places where people are interacting, uh, like gyms, like movie theaters, like restaurants, in a way that we don't see in other spots, is it your view that this has worked? It's tough to say. I mean, I think that's been one of the challenges with all of the lockdowns is we certainly understood that businesses are being closed. We've understood which sectors and, and where the government is going. We've never had a clear idea of what the goals or intentions are behind the lockdown itself. And that's always been a source of frustration is what does success look like? Is it lower hospitalization numbers? Is it lower case numbers? Is it lower percent positivity? And again, that comes back to some of the communication frustrations that businesses have been feeling with the government over the last two years is if we are not being clear about thresholds, if we are not being clear about goals, it makes it very hard to plan if you're a business owner. It's very hard to think two weeks ahead, let alone two months ahead. Um, and I think it's something that when we do come out of this, the government needs to be very clear. As the premier has been very clear himself to say, he will not hesitate to delay. He will not hesitate to go back if the need arises. What does that look like? What are the numbers business owners should be looking out for? What would trigger a government decision? And I think that needs to be made clear. As we draw to a conclusion this interview, let me ask you this. What do you say to business owners right now, days just before the the reopening of the economy, the start of it? But also, what do you say to potential customers? So I, I think to business owners, I give you all the credit in the world for for hanging on and navigating these last two years. I know, I mean, it's it's our job here at CFIB to do it, and it has been difficult to figure out what the restrictions are, what applies where, who's enforcing what. Um, it, it seems to have changed hourly at some points during the pandemic. It's been immensely difficult, and all the credit in the world for hanging on this long. Uh, and we're close. We're close to the end of this, uh, and it will get better. On the customer side, I think there has been a wonderful rallying around the importance, the understanding of the importance of what you small businesses mean to the local community. I think as much as we've seen the Amazons and the online shopping of the world uh, increase, we have also seen, I think, uh, an increase in local support and want in the desire to support local. I want to make sure that customers understand that we need that to continue, that that is, it's great that it happened during the pandemic, but moving forward, it needs to be a permanent thing that we need to understand that it's not just when small businesses are suffering that they need your help. They always need your support and they are always contributing to your community. That dollar you spend locally is largely staying locally, not the case on the Amazon side. And you really benefit your community when you shop local. Monday, the last day of January, but also the first day of reopening this time around for several business sectors. Thank you, Ryan Mello, for joining us on the feed, the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Strong voice and good to hear yours. Thank you. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Kevin Frankish next with the hard-hit hospitality industry. There is no doubt that this pandemic has been tough on business, but I don't think we have a good grasp yet on how devastating it has been, especially for the hospitality industry. It's perhaps one of the most vulnerable industries in a time like this. Tony Elenis is president and CEO of the Ontario Restaurant, Hotel and Motel Association and speaks with me right now. Hi, Tony. Hello. Great to be on your show. Could you tell me, give me a snapshot, how, sir, you used the word devastating when we were talking earlier. Is it devastating? Well, COVID-19 came upon society and, and upon the tourism industry, hospitality, with a heavy blow. No doubt it has damaged the industry. And it's an uncharted voyage. It's continuing to be uncharted, even when we're entering our recovery climate. Do you have any numbers? Well, the industry has seen occupancies drop or about 35-40% occupancies down in the hotel sector across the province. Some international and market-driven um, groups are not going to be recovering for a lengthier period. Uh, the restaurant industry, we've seen approximately about 15% of restaurants close since March of uh, 2020. Uh, some statistics are showing us that uh, 80% of restaurants are paying personal and bank loans just to keep the doors open based on uh, 
on government relief response. We might see up to 20% close the doors in the next uh, uh, two to three months. And, and a statistic that just came out uh, from, a, from a research company, 33% of restaurants were not able to pay rent for uh, December 2021. Sorry, was so that, that, was that was 33? That was 33%? 33%. Wow. Uh, that's frightening uh, statistics that support the anguish that, that is going on in the industry. And, and it's not just, you know, the, the business from a financial view. It's also about the emotional toll that, that COVID has, has, has hit uh, the individuals, the operators, and both employers and employees are just drained. They're tired, they're frustrated, they're angry. And this is especially sad because a lot of the restaurants that have had no choice but to close have been around for generations and have been well-established. We've seen iconic uh, restaurants. We've seen operators that put all their sweat and tears into building a successful business. Uh, But the pandemic has been uh, damaging. Many are surviving, depending on the you know, the, 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 the cash that you might have at hand to be able to push you through a few months. And, and, and uh, yeah, I thought we thought, we thought the uh, Delta variant was beaten. Uh, and, and we were trying to see green horizons ahead. Then when Omicron, the lockdowns and the restrictions came, came upon the industry, well, it came out probably the busiest time of the year, the, the, the Christmas season with, with meetings and events and, 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 and consumers starting to cancel. And uh, it, it, it has put a dent once again and, and pushed us backwards. You know, we, we're sort of moving two steps ahead and four steps backwards at this point. Hopefully, hopefully, Omicron, uh, you know, as bad as it has been, we are starting to hope that, you know, the, the, this is a turning point. And, and hopefully, the severity, of course, from a healthy uh, view is, is, is not as, as, as the other COVID variants have been. So hopefully, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll move out because lockdown is a much hated word in the industry. And I mentioned off the top that the hospitality industry is particularly vulnerable because they're being attacked not only from the pandemic side, not only from the loss of loss of customers, but they're also being impacted by this great reorganization we hear about where many people who are making minimum wage uh, are quitting and moving on. So the staffing isn't there. And add into that the supply chain crisis. Add into that people not able to travel to fill up the hotel. So you're getting it from all sides. Yeah, you know, this is an industry, an industry uh, that really excelled in the strengths of people meeting people. An industry that provides a, a location for people to have fun and, and, and enjoy and network and, and, and do business uh, in, 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 in a setting that is second to none when it comes to, to sort of being hospitable. That's what we call it, the hospitality industry. But all those attributes are, are turning to be hurting us during this, this pandemic. And yes, you know, we, we need to have uh, leisure confidence back. And we, we've, we've seen um, great strides in that during 2021. Summer was, was pretty good for hotels, for the patios. Very busy industry. Uh, once the fall came in, you know, consumer confidence didn't work to our favor, but we're still open. But the Omicron really took a toll on the industry once again. And it's not just about the leisure confidence. We need to bring business confidence back. Much of the industry relies on business travel, and it starts with the borders and the conveniences and the efficiencies that need to return back. Give me your wish list, Tony. Give me your wish list of what has to be done, what should be done in order to help this industry. Well, I believe, and I believe governments are starting to understand that we need, we're at a phase now that we need to balance both the health and the economics. And, and hopefully we're, we're heading the right way with that. Uh, we know we're going to have a top recovery road. Operators are paying higher prices for food and, and higher prices from the supply chain overall, and especially insurance, as, as you were saying, uh, higher labor prices, and and we're going to need support, uh, not just during the pandemic, as we have seen them step up to the plate, 
but during a recovery road. Uh, this recovery road is going to last about 22 months. Another 22 months of suffering because the the, the, um, the, the industry has, has just had enough. I'll be honest with you, they're tired, as, as I was saying. So we, we need to uh, uh, have support from there in the next 22 months. And, um, uh, you know, we, this industry is going to survive. You know, we, we've seen operators um, being so, so resilient so adaptable to implement so many new protocols, so many new ways, um, in, in, in the, in, especially in the restaurant industry where it's a razor-thin industry um, that we know we're going to get there. I think you bring up a really interesting point because what we knew of the hospitality industry prior to the pandemic has now changed. There is a lot more dependence on uh, delivery services, a lot more dependence uh, of online. So, so things have changed. Are there good changes? Uh, there are positive changes that came out of it in technology. Uh, the, in technology was always a, something very slow to be embraced by, by this industry. And we've seen, of course, the uh, digital highway. Um, really being an asset in, in putting a restaurant on the map and attracting incremental new markets to restaurants through, through the platforms as costly as they are. And, 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 and many have seen success. The, um, the ability uh, through government to be able to offer beverage alcohol with food has really benefited many. And, and that, is a, that is good news. But we're also going to see technology come right into the operations. We're already seeing that with QR codes. We're seeing it in, in kitchen facilities and, and, and the new ways of payments uh, are established uh, in, in the hotel. Uh, we're starting to see more, more use of a cell phone to um, bypass the front desk of check-in and check-out and even to open your door with your cell phone. You know, th- that technology was coming anyway, but COVID has accelerated it, and, and, and we welcome it. Do you have thoughts on delivery services? Uh, I've heard stories of how, you know, restaurants in order to survive, of course, they had to sign on where they, they didn't before, but that these delivery services are squeezing them dry, that they are taking so much of the profit, it's hard to keep up. Do you think there needs to be more regulation for these delivery services, or do you think this is the way it's going to be and that prices will have no choice but to go up? Well, the prices need to be looked at in the long term now. The government of Ontario has, has uh, stepped up to the plate and, and passed a, a regulation in capping the commissions and, 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 and the fees that uh, uh, these platforms charge during lockdown uh, times only. I think it needs to be looked at as we move forward, definitely. And also the operators uh, to really become savvy with uh, managing the revenues and, and when they can use them and when they can use their own delivery uh, platform if they have one uh, or or stay out of it at times when you really don't have enough uh, fixed labor to do it. You know, if, and it has proven, to, to if you're able to produce extra revenue, which means extra profit, go for it, even at a high commission because you are getting incremental profit, incremental revenue on it. But there's analysis to be, to be uh, said with this and analysis that, you know, our industry needs to be solving with. All right, Tony. Well, I, I know I work a lot with the hospitality industry, and I know they are resilient. I know, uh, you know, they see tough times, and they react, and they're a family. So uh, I hope that uh, they do come out of this stronger than before. It's a, it's a great group of individuals that, that work in this industry. And if you don't have passion for this industry, you don't get into it. Uh, and those that do and stay with it and, and become successful because they have fun at the same time. That's the kind of industry it is. But lately, you know, we, we've seen the uh, devastation really take a toll on, on the emotions of the industry, unfortunately. All right, Tony, thank you for this. Welcome and, and great to be on your show. Tony Alinas, President and CEO of the Ontario Restaurant, Hotel, and Motel Association, and uh, speaking to us uh, today on The Feed. After the break, celebrations of Black history. Do you have a story idea for The Feed? 
Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. Next month in communities right across this nation, celebrations of black history. Tina Cortez with New Market's plans. Teresa Grant Hall is the chairperson of the New Market African Caribbean Canadian Association. Welcome to The Feed, Teresa. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Tell us about your work with the NACCA. So the New Market African Caribbean Canadian Association is a registered nonprofit uh, organization that I am the founder and chair uh, of the organization. We started back in 2019, and um, we're very focused on our diverse Black community, local Black community here in New Market and surrounding area. Currently, we focus on um, mental health and financial education, as well as food security and our annual scholarship for for students that are going off to university for the first time. Can you tell us how has the organization grown and changed since 2019? Uh, Certainly. We have, uh, when we first started, uh, we were just uh, a handful of uh, Uh, citizens, uh, like-minded individuals coming together to celebrate our story, uh, the stories that form the foundation of our collective history. We've uh, since evolved into a full-fledged registered uh, nonprofit with with governance and um, infrastructure in place to support and sustain uh, our programs. And we've been able to uh, secure funding to have uh, more of a capacity building, um, if you will, for the organization. And recently, back on December 12, 2021, we opened up the first uh, first ever Black-led, Black-focused community space here in Newmarket. So I think that's a significant milestone for the organization. And where is that community space located in Newmarket? It's located at 449 Eagle Street in Newmarket. What events do you have planned to celebrate Black History Month? So right now we do have uh, quite a number of um, uh, online activities lined up. We're starting off with a flag raising ceremony, uh, raising up the Pan-African flag on uh, February 1st in Newmarket and in Esquilamberry as well. And on um on February 5th, we'll be holding our annual Black History Month reception. It's a virtual event. Uh, we will be also hosting a moderated discussion uh, in partnership with the New Market Public Library on allyship and leadership, and that's on February 15th. And on February 24th, we'll be partnering with the East Gwillenberry Public Library to bring um, uh, meet the author event for younger children, and her, the author is Akila Newton. And throughout the month of February, we also will be spotlighting and highlighting uh, Black-owned businesses through our Ujama marketplace. Sounds terrific. So much to see and do. And what is the theme for Black History Month 2022? Our theme this year is, uh, actually, we're operating under the slogan, Get Up, Stand Up, There's Power in Unity. And uh, the theme that inspired or what inspired that is the theme of of harnessing uh, allyship and leadership. We always like to say Black history is not just one month. It's it's Black, Black History 360. And Black history today and every day is important to understand because Black history is Canadian history. I think uh, that while we're, we're having conversations about the achievements and contributions of Black Canadians, that we also lean in to those conversations about the narrative that form the mosaic of who we are as Canadians, and everyone should be able to lean into those stories to understand, you know, that um, who the, all the founding pioneers are, 
you know. And so I think it's significant in that sense that it's not just for a select few, but for all of us to learn today and for and tomorrow uh, what what this all means and what it represents and to continue to engage in those conversations that include all of us as Canadians. If our listeners want to continue to engage and learn more, where can they go for more information? With regards to Black History 2022, uh, our landing page is newmarket.ca forward slash black history. And uh, with regards to all things NACA, uh, our New Market African Caribbean Canadian Association, our website is nakacommunity.ca. Jerisa Grant Hall, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Lots to discuss with Vaughn Mayor Maurizio Bevilacqua in his monthly chat with 1059 The Region, including. Snow, 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 snow. What was Vaughn's response to that significant weather event on January 17th, a fierce storm that slammed many municipalities here in southern Ontario? Welcome to the feed, Mayor Bevilacqua, and boy, that snowstorm was one for the history books. How did you handle it? Uh, it sure was, and it's uh, a major operation, you, you know, and the city's winter maintenance program includes salting, uh, windrow clear, clearing, uh, plowing, and snow removal along more than 2,000, 2,000 lane uh, kilometers of roads and 1,000 uh, kilometers of sidewalks throughout the city. Uh, we're very fortunate to have a, a great team here in, in the city of Vaughan. I call them snow fighters. Hmm. Uh, the city has a fleet of more than 100 vehicles, including salter, snow plow units, uh, windrow um, a machine, sidewalk machines, pickup trucks, and so on. Uh, I only say this so that uh, the listeners can appreciate the magnitude of um, what it takes uh, to keep our uh, city uh, clear uh, of snow. And uh, what we witnessed uh, in January was a major, major snowstorm. You know, I know it's not your problem, but if you look at how other municipalities responded, a very large municipality, in fact, still clearing the snow as we speak. Yes, and I think you need to have a strategy in place. You need to have the right equipment. You need to have the right leadership. You need to have people who are all in. And uh, you also have to be able to anticipate. And we, we did uh, anticipate uh, this uh, uh, weather uh, warning and then snowfall warning issued by, by Environment Canada. And you have to be ready for, uh, for these uh, uh, events uh, in a way that speaks to essential uh, readiness uh, of the team. And uh, the team here takes uh, takes their job extremely seriously, and that is why they're able to do uh, the great work that they do. In my mind's eye, I can see a war room going on when the team gets together and says, "All right, now it's time to deploy the troops. Here we go." Yes, it's all. It's really it's all rehearsed. Uh, preparation is key. Be prepared is really uh, our model to be prepared, and uh, and and we are. We are for for. Uh, you know, for significant weather events such as this one, uh, we are uh, for uh, for any kind of, of event that requires uh, our immediate uh, attention. It's something that we actually invest a lot of time on. We train ourselves uh, for days like this. Speaking of being prepared, preparedness, how is Vaughn preparing for Ontario's reopening plans? Monday is the big day. We see popular places like restaurants and gyms and cinemas opening with a limited capacity, but reopening nonetheless. How is the city preparing for this? Well, we're all in. Uh, I mean, we uh, we continue with our strategy. I, I think that uh, we've handled COVID uh, quite well, and we've been great partners with the province. And obviously, the uh, the province and the federal government have been great partners uh, uh, with us. You know, since uh, since the city declared a state of emergency in March 2020, uh, our economic development department has been at the forefront. We delivered more than. Uh, 1,500 business advisory consultations addressing more than 6,150 uh, 6, business inquiries and providing more than 345 workshops to 6,675 attendees. And I say these numbers um, uh, not merely as statistics because behind these numbers are real people, real people that have accessed uh, the programs, real people that have been helped, and uh, and real people that are going to be uh, a key 
in uh, the economic uh, recovery uh, after COVID. Uh, so uh, the reason why I elaborate and, and, and underline those numbers, because I do think that people need to appreciate uh, the fact that this community is a very vibrant community that works well together and that the city of Vaughan is there to help them. Have you had response from some business owners saying, look, Mayor, we just can't reopen. We're just, we're going under. Look, that happens, and uh, that's uh, part and parcel of the reality of COVID, and, and quite frankly, it's you know, also part and parcel of the of the reality of, of the market. Uh, however, I must tell you that uh, we have 19,000 businesses here in, in this city of Vaughan that create over 230,000 jobs, and they are very resilient. We were very fortunate uh, that in certain areas like manufacturing and constructions, which are key drivers of our economy, uh, alongside uh, with, uh, you know, plastics industry, health and sciences, uh, we, we we have found that uh, a large percentage of our economy was not affected. But unfortunately, in the areas like hospitality and restaurants and uh, recreation, uh, that those areas were uh, were affected uh, in, a, in a serious way. But uh, that's why, you know, we, we, we promote, you know, the shop bond local, uh, dine bond local. Uh, we provide, uh, you know, innovation space at the Pure Burton Resource Library so that people uh, can access our innovation hubs. Uh, and we, you know, we obviously have a bond business resilience plan uh, that, uh, uh, that is working exceptionally well. Through this plan, like the City Economic Development Department, we will continue to help businesses uh, build uh, resilience and uh, and also help in key strategic sectors like healthcare, supply chain, manufacturing, and tourism. And uh, we are obviously getting ready to open up some spaces so that we can also express ourselves uh, in the culture and, and, and the arts. We dedicate a lot of our energy also in training and education. So it's a comprehensive approach uh, towards uh, building a post-COVID world uh, that uh, works well for everyone. So back to business, but not business as usual, as we have been kind of saying as we emerge from another lockdown. Mayor Bevelacqua, do you think lockdowns work? Well, lockdowns are uh, a way to to address the issue. Vaccination has got to be part of it, too. And, and, you know, there's one key element that's very important. It's called personal responsibility. Uh, And this is something that I was very impressed by the citizens. Uh, These citizens are are exceptional citizens who understand the challenge that we're facing uh, uh, with COVID. But, of course, every community is also going to have those individuals who do not I believe in vaccination, who, who want to chart their own course towards uh, uh, recovery. Uh, unfortunately, uh, at times, um, you know, the, the virus gets spread and, and, and we witness uh, deaths and, and people getting sick and we've lost lives, essentially. Uh, and so I think that the vaccination plus uh, proper uh, rules and regulations around uh, uh, the way we, we move for now, obviously, we... we we, we want to be totally free to uh, to go back to some kind of uh, society where, you know, we, we could do what we wanted to, always within the rules, of course. Uh, but uh, ultimately, look, I've been impressed with the, the way uh, the city of Vaughan and, and its citizens have handled uh, the COVID-19. Let's look now forward to the month of February. And I'm going to say lights, camera, action, a call for video submissions from you to be included in Vaughan's Black History Month virtual event. What are you looking for and why? I'm looking for people to... Uh, to videos to to really promote the incredible contribution that uh, uh, black community, black Canadians have made to our city, to our country. Uh, role models. We want people to talk about role models. Uh, like I know my dear friend, uh, former colleague Jean Augustine stands out uh, to me as a person who uh, who uh, has contributed a great deal to uh, to, to Canada. Uh, her story is a wonderful story of perseverance, of, of really rooting herself uh, in the essentials of courage, hope, and commitment. And, um, you know, we actually named uh, named a, a district and a park uh, in her name uh, to, to really celebrate uh, the great contribution she has made. But there are other people who have dedicated themselves and have been passionate about social justice, equality, and human rights. Um, and these are people we want to hear about. And, uh, you know, I'm always, in, I really, really appreciate 
getting to know people that are not necessarily in the media, not necessarily, uh, they, they are, they are like these gems that you discover when somebody starts talking about them. It could be somebody's parent, a teacher, it could be a soccer coach, a hockey coach. It could be, uh, you know, uh, people in that operate within faith based organization, whoever they may be. I just want to know who are these people and why do they inspire, uh, us to, to, to be the best of ourselves. And those who want to participate in this can head to your website, the city's website, to submit a 15-second video clip of themselves talking about Black Canadians who inspire them and have made a positive difference in society. I want to thank you so much, Mayor Bevilacqua, the mayor of Vaughan. I look forward to our next chat next month. It's many things in the month of February, including... The time of love, and I think that that needs to be spread out through every municipality in this country. And uh, thank you so much for being a part of the feed today. Thank you, Anne, and let's make 2022 the best year ever. Here, here. <laughs> Thanks, Mayor B. <laughs> be well. Stay safe. When we come back, the King City Actor, Director, and the Award of Excellence, Art Hindle. Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer, and more of the feed after the break. This is 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to the feed. I'm Ann Romer. Jim Lang is next with the York Region resident who also happens to be a legendary Canadian actor. When you look up Actors IMDb, it's one of the most extensive and impressive movie resumes and acting resumes that you will find. A proud Canadian lives in King City, spends some time in L.A. He is a member of the Actra Award of Excellence, Art Hindle. Art, how are you? I'm fine, Jim. You? Uh, good. I mean, it, it really is incredible to look back at the body of your work from the 70s to the 80s to, to the present time. You've constantly kept working in all mediums and film and television on a steady basis. There's not many actors on anywhere that can say that. Yeah, well, I, the only way I can explain it, Jim, is I'm desperate. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, one time Tom Hanks said the key to being a good actor is be on time, be nice, and know your lines. So I've met you a few times. I know how nice you are. I'm pretty sure you're on time because you're Canadian and knowing your lines. When did you get a feel as a young actor that that was a gift that you had that you could learn scripts on a steady basis to keep working so much? Well, I you know I don't know if I ever uh, I ever thought about it. It's kind of like it's just uh, again it's desperation. You know they they throw this dialogue at you and you you just better learn it. So. Uh, you know, and I don't really have any great technique. Uh, it's it's if I told you, it's pretty simple. I I usually write them out in longhand a few times. Uh, um, I firmly believe that uh, 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 that knowing the lines backwards and forwards, the way we as people know our lines backwards and forwards, because. Most of the time, what we have to say to one another, we've said it to before many times. So it, it, it's ingrained in there, and uh, and we could probably repeat it uh, without thinking about it. So that's 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 how the the dialogue has to has to be fixed in your mind. I know uh, I know uh, uh, an acquaintance of mine, Anthony Hopkins. He he reads the script dozens of times and uh, doesn't actually memorizes lines and I don't memorize my lines. It's probably more remembering your lines because, uh, the memory can be faulty, but, uh, if you get them ingrained in there, then they'll never, they'll never go away until, until you they say print and, and then they leave. <laughs> they go away. You get rid of them. You know, I got, I, I have too many, too many files up there. So before we get to some of your incredible work you're doing with Actra and supporting Canadian talent and Canadian productions, you start out in the 70s and then you're part of a, a movie called Invasion of the Body Snatchers in 78 who influenced so many filmmakers through the 80s and 90s. Did you know at the time making that movie, it would have such a cultural impact on Hollywood and movie making in decades since? Uh, no. Uh, when you're making a movie, uh, you're just trying to get it done before they take your money away. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
you don't you don't have any idea that that a film is going to uh, be successful. Never mind a classic like a couple of the films I've done have become. I first really remember you and watching The Octagon with Chuck Norris in 1980, and because I mean I was at that age and my teens loving action movies, and then you seem to be everywhere. And and I think, Art, you broke the mold where a lot of Canadian actors are in these Canadian productions, but you could go back and forth from Canada to the U.S. and were comfortable in mainstream U.S. network television and movies and Canadian productions and really open the door for a lot of men and women in this country. Well, I hope I hope it opened the door. I hope I hope, uh, you know, uh, I, I you know, I gave uh, I gave some people a, a, a hand up just like uh, people gave me a hand up. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's what it's all about. I think, uh, you know, uh, finally, uh, it wasn't until this century that I actually found a way to to do that through the union. I was kind of, uh, uh, for many, many years, I was somebody who just thought, well, the union's one thing, and it's something I have to belong to, but, you know, I'm basically on my own here. I'm a you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm an individual worker and, uh, you know, I just got to work for myself, but, uh, it wasn't until about, uh, 2005, 2006, I realized what a powerhouse a union can be and should be, <coughs> excuse me. Well, not at all, Art. Uh, speaking with Art Hindle, a King City native and resident and a winner of the Award of Excellence for Actra Toronto in 2022 and over 200 credits on his IMDb title page from the 70s to present time. You've been a, an unbelievable champion to support Canadian talent in productions and Canadian productions. Uh, Art, in this changing world in 2022 with streaming and everything else and, and budgets being squeezed, how do we keep... Canadian, big Canadian companies from supporting Canadian talent, Canadian productions. Because if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have a Shit's Creek or some of the other great shows and Letter Kenny that we're getting out of Canadian talent right now. How do we? How do we do what, Jim? To how do keep- we? How do we keep su- making sure these big companies that own television in Canada keep supporting Canadian talent? Well, it, you know, you have to you have to count on Canadians uh, uh, letting their demands be known that they want to watch these shows, that they love these shows, and, and you have to support the shows. I've, I've seen too many Canadian shows uh, where they they sweep the awards season, but they're canceled by CBC or by CTV. They, you know, they, they're not really given a chance. And rarely, if ever, do you, do you see in the advertising on, on billboards, et cetera, et cetera, the actors are in fact being named to be in the in uh, being displayed as being in the in the show, you know they tend to, you know if they're gonna if they ever do promote the show, they just promote the show itself and not the actors that are involved. And I think that has to change. And that's that's when you're going to start getting uh, uh, a lot of our well-known actors and young up-and-coming actors. They're going to start staying in Canada and and, and uh, doing these successful shows. But you know if you don't get the support from from the public and from uh, from the producers and from uh, from your governments because they have to the government should support that's what they do in most other countries in the world uh, you're going to start losing these people they're going to go to Los Angeles like I had to do back in 1974 when if you look at as you're, you're looking at the IMDP page you'll see between 1968 when I started acting to 1974 I think I did uh, five or six productions. And uh, from 74, when I arrived, basically 75 for the next six years to 81, 82, you'll see I probably did a dozen or more, maybe 15 productions. So, uh, you know, I think that's that's what you have to do. You just have to get out there and support support Canadian talent. I know one time the government had a great tax credit and it spawned a real movie industry in the mid to late 70s, early 80s with some great underrated Canadian movies that you will find on late night channels and streaming services. How how come the government hasn't gone back to that to really help support the arts and the movie television industry in this country? Well, in fact, they do have those those uh, some of those uh, in, in, in uh, order. The uh, Telefilm Canada uh, invests in Canadian films. Uh, and also, um, 
So the the Ontario government, for instance, uh, has very uh, generous tax credits for uh, domestic and foreign productions. So that helps a lot to defray the uh, the incredible costs of of making movies. When you think about your start in the early seventies and you're looking back on it now and winning this award of excellence, do you sometimes you know have your morning coffee and smile like you know what's pretty darn good run I've had so far? Uh, I guess I, you know, I, I'm not, I didn't really get in, into acting, uh, for awards or, you know, recognition. Uh, you know, for me, it was just, I just keep remembering. I always keep reminding myself when I think I, I, I get too full of myself. I remember that when I started out acting, all I wanted to do was just have somebody hire me as an actor and just so I could just uh, tell truths, tell deep, deep truths and do and uh, and perform and and uh, and do some things that are meaningful. And, uh, you know, I just keep going from production to production, looking for those kinds of things. And even today, I, you know, some people, you know, sort of criticize some I do some of these Hallmark movies that are. Uh, very popular and uh, and and a lot of them are produced in Canada, uh, bringing work to a lot of people and and uh, money to a lot of communities. Um, they criticize them, but I think you know most of them have a heart inside there, and uh, and they encourage they're encouraging and they they encourage a lot of things besides just love and romance, but. Uh, you know, that's what that's that's what keeps me going. Art Hindle, actor, Toronto Award of Excellence winner, twenty twenty two. What an incredible career, and it's still going strong. Lives in King City, and we're so proud of him. Art, an absolute pleasure to speak with you, and uh, I've been a fan for a long time. And thank you so much for giving me a lot of uh, hours of amazing pleasure watching you on TV and movies. Well, thank you, Jim, and I just want to tell your listeners to go out there, get get vaxxed, get boosted, and let's get. Let's get out of these, uh, this pandemic and uh, let's get things back to some kind of normal uh, so we can, uh, we can enjoy each other again. Here, here. Thank you, Art. All the best. Take care. Bye. Bye. If you missed any part of our show, please go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.